0: sense of atmosphere, and so on. Don't study for too long. Take a break when you need to, then come back to the guide refreshed. But before you leave the guide, take a few seconds to make notes about what you've just heard. Bullet points, a simple list of headings, or a mind map will do. That's a diagram a bit like a family tree where you show how people and events are related. The point of making lists, or diagrams, each time you stop the guide is that it requires you to repeat and save the information, a little like hitting the save key on a computer. Then when it comes to reviewing your work later on, these lists will be great tools for sparking your memory about what you thought and felt as you worked through the play. Note-taking, in whatever way suits you best, is a great skill to develop not just for schoolwork, but for life in general. So, start now. What I would suggest, however, is that after each scene, you make sure you write a few notes, so that later, when you come to review the play, it will act as a summary for you. Okay, that's enough of the overview. We are here to explore Henry V by William Shakespeare. I've asked a student, who incidentally is also called Will, to join me as we travel more than 400 years into the past. Here we are. This is London, the capital city of England and perhaps the most important city in the world at this point in history. And when are we? Well, the year is 1599. And the place stinks. Oh, hello, Will. Glad you could join me. Yes, you're right. The streets are filthy and the air is filled with the stink of rot and decay. In 1599, All rubbish and waste is just thrown into the streets or into the river. There is disease and even plague. Rats are everywhere and everybody looks dirty and has rotten teeth. The Queen herself, Elizabeth I, has wooden false teeth because her own have rotted away. And she wears a wig to hide the fact that disease has made all her own hair fall out. That's the Queen, the ruler of the whole country, so you can imagine what the rest of them are like. The world at this time is very primitive in terms of the world we know today. There's no plumbing, no electricity, not even gaslight. There are no newspapers, though men do stand in the street and shout important headlines to the crowds. There's no television, but there is the theater. For us, living in the 21st century, the theater is something special, something to get dressed up for, and the tickets can be very expensive. Yet in 1599, theatre was for the people then like television is for us now. It was the mass entertainment and could be very cheap. Look, this crowd seems to be heading to the theatre now, so let's go with them. We are heading towards the Globe. It is the newest theatre in London and has just been built by a group of theatrical folk, among them William Shakespeare. And, oh look, we're here at the Globe, but there's a queue to get in. Let's just jump inside then. So here we are, inside the newly built Globe Theatre. And of course, The first thing you notice is... There's no roof. That's right. There's a partial roof over the top of the building covering the stage area and the wooden carved seats set around the outside. But the centre section, which is where most people would stand to watch the show, is uncovered, open to the elements. So if it rains, and it rains a lot in England, the audience will get wet. So why is there no roof? Well, remember, this is before electricity. The shows are performed during the day, and the theatre is open to the sky for light. Look, as the crowd starts to enter, you see how normal everyone looks. Not dressed up for a special event, but just out for a bit of entertainment. Most of them can't read or write, but they understand the language perfectly the language that students today find so difficult and old-fashioned. And it's because everybody had a better ear then, for verse and for the rhythm of speech. In today's world, we've lost the knack for hearing rhyme because it's not part of our everyday experience. But back then, it was. The other thing to remember about Shakespeare is that the audience often knew the stories before they came to see the play. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, for example, is taken from an old and popular story that the audience would know well already. Henry V is, of course, a history play based on the real English king, Henry V, who ruled from March 20th, 1413, to August 31st, 1422. But remember this. As a writer, Shakespeare used history. He was not an historian. Let's leave here now and talk more about that. Shakespeare is a writer of his time. That is something never to forget. And in all of his plays, he writes from the perspective of his own lifetime. He includes topical references and in-jokes to please the audience, but he also addresses the problems and fears of the time, particularly in his history plays. You see, in Shakespeare's time, the king or queen wasn't just some character that kept the media busy and attracted a bit of tourist trade. They were chosen by God to rule. They were there by divine right. They were God's representatives on earth. This is a really important aspect to consider because it colours the way society worked. Okay, now in Shakespeare's day, Elizabeth I was on the throne and had been the ruling monarch since 1558. She became queen at a time of change and instability. At the start of her reign, there had been attempts to assassinate her and much plotting to force her to marry someone who would rule for her using her authority. Yet Elizabeth was a strong woman. She believed in herself and her ability to rule England and her right to do so. She worked to get the people behind her. Over the years she became very popular and England became strong and stable, possibly the strongest it had ever been, and was growing as a power in the world. The high point of this was in 1588 when the Spanish Navy, called the Armada, sailed against England and there was a great battle, which England won. After this England was the number one power in the world. Yet by 1599, England's internal stability and place in the world was falling apart. Remember, I said that God chose the king or queen. Well, Elizabeth never married and had no child to follow her. In 1599, she was sick and old, and England appeared sick and old too. England was in conflict with Ireland, who wanted to take back their own country and the Spanish had rebuilt their navy and threatened England again. There were a number of plots to take the throne from Elizabeth and a strong sense that war was close at hand. Remember, I said that Shakespeare is a writer and not an historian. Well, this was what people were talking about in the streets at the time he was writing. And so the play, Henry V, is as much to do with the world of 1599 as it is to do with 1415. It's also important to look at Henry V in the context of Shakespeare's other works, too. He'd already written about the character Henry V in his earlier play, Henry IV. Do you mean that Henry V is a sequel? Not a sequel, but part of Shakespeare's ongoing history series. In Henry IV, we meet King Henry V as a young man, while he was still prince and known as Prince Hal or Prince Harry. You see, Henry V is part of a cycle of plays that begins with Richard II, then moves on to Henry IV, which is in two parts, and then ends with Henry V. In terms of understanding Henry V, it's important to know that Henry IV seized the throne from the rightful king, Richard II, and... But you said that God chose the king or queen. Exactly, Will. Henry IV was a villain and usurped the rightful king took the crowd by force. That act of treachery almost threw England into civil war. On a personal level, the young Prince Hal, like many a teenager, rebelled against his father and became a waster. He sat around all day drinking and mixing with some really colorful characters. The most important of these being Sir John Falstaff, a huge character.